You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. So as everybody's getting kind of settled in, if you want to get to Matthew chapter 7 and look towards the end of the chapter at verse 24, that's where we're going to start. We're continuing in this series that we're calling Word of Life, hearing teaching directly from Jesus. Uh, we are always seeking to learn from Jesus, uh, but it's just undeniable there's something particularly powerful, even, even knowing that it's the Spirit of Christ who inspired all of the scriptures, all of the Word of God, there's something particularly powerful uh, and meaningful about learning from the words that Jesus himself said during his earthly ministry, the things that he decided were important during a three-year ministry important to teach human beings. Uh, We want to count those things as important also and learn from him. So we're continuing to do that. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24 is where we're going to be. Um, Before we start, just uh, at the risk of being kind of redundant lately, I want to encourage you all in your heart, the way we're coming to the Lord this morning, Um, not just because we're learning from uh, Jesus's teaching ministry, but as we always want to do, sitting before and under the authority of the scriptures to be mindful of our hearts uh, where we're at and to remember that, uh, as Ben was saying, uh, that we're here gathered with the Lord, not just with each other. The Lord is gathered here with us, and He has ministry to do. He has plans, purposes, things to accomplish. Um, Dare I say, things we've built that the Lord wants to tear down this morning. It's a ministry of His. Uh, Tearing down idols, rebuilding worship of Him in those places in our hearts. We have to know and, and remember, be mindful, and be eager and desiring for the Lord to do His ministry in us this morning, we don't want, even though the word is always powerful, always goes forth and produces fruit, always accomplishes that for which the Lord sent it to accomplish, uh, we don't want it to find resistance in us. We want to be willing recipients of the Lord's ministry. So uh, before we read, just wanted to stop, just remember that, uh, and with you, together with you, including myself, just be mindful of that. So just as we normally do here, we'll read our passage. I'll read it out loud if you want to follow along. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus speaking all of these words. Uh, I'll read this out loud, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord for some help here. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for your word. What a miracle that your teaching ministry has been preserved for us, sitting in our laps, projected on screens, so that we can learn from your teaching. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's not just words on a page, but it is a sword in your hand. And it's the way you fight against sin, it's the way you fight against unrighteousness, and the way you fight against unbelief. Lord, we want to come to you in spirit and in truth this morning, honestly, sincerely, So we confess, I confess, we have sinned, we have fallen short of your glory, Lord. And we are unworthy of your presence here with us, except that by your grace, a gift that we could never have earned, you have placed us in Christ, through our faith in him, not through our works, not through our goodness, not through the the good deed of showing up this morning, but because Christ is all and we are in Christ, we know that we have been made worthy of your presence. So coming to you now, Lord, just remembering our our place, our position before you, recipients of grace, redeemed sinners with a great need to be taught by you, led by you, overpowered by you, we ask that you would please speak right now to us. Please, you yourself, Lord, will you teach us this morning through the ministry of your word by your Holy Spirit. Please don't let this time that we have together be uh, a bunch of people listening to the opinions of a person about your word, but let it be you teaching us your word so that you would be glorified in us, glorified through us. And we ask for this in and for the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so here we have Jesus speaking. He's, he's really actually, uh, we, we haven't been going through this series kind of chronologically, like working through uh, a series of teachings from Jesus. We've been picking at some things um, and trusting the Lord to just put that together and use it. Uh, but here we have really the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount Uh, from chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. We've departed from the Sermon on the Mount some during the series, but this is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is meaning to make a very stark statement to show how contrasting it is to live for him and under his authority or to seek not to. And the, the difference in the outcome 
So we, we know that there's a lot of symptoms that come from living under the authority of Jesus, willingly accepting his authority and embracing him as our Lord and being his disciple. There's a lot of symptoms. There's peace there. There's joy there. There's security there. There's power there. And we know that conversely, there's a lot of symptoms of seeking to be out from underneath the authority of Christ. There's a lack of peace, a lack of joy, a lack of security, and there's no power in ourselves to live a life that is eternally meaningful. And Jesus here is taking, taking those things to their end, taking them to their conclusion, and showing us the end result of either obedience to him or disobedience. He's, this is how he wraps up his sermon. After he said these things, you notice starting in verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Not because no one had ever said anything, maybe used imagery like this, or it wasn't that the, the analogy blew them away, it was verse 29, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Not like one who's appealing to the authority of another, but he was teaching as if he himself was the authority on truth, on God, on life. And this astonished them that he would speak with such authority. And the fact is he has that authority. That's why he can make these kinds of claims. So now here we are, Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, if anyone but God says that, how arrogant, right? You can't just say that unless you're God. Then you can say it. Then you should say that. You have every right to say that. If you listen to me and you do what I say, then you are wise. If you listen and hear what I have to say, but then you don't do what I say, then you're a fool. You have to be so confident to say something like that. And to be honest, if you're not God and you say something like that, you're confident enough to make a claim like that. Hey, look, you follow me, you do what I say for the rest of your life, <laughs> you will win. You have to be God to speak with that kind of confidence. Otherwise, what a fool. You're the greatest fool. So here he is, though, making this claim. In all of Jesus' earthly ministry, he never calls people to just pay attention to him. Just pay attention. That's never the end of Jesus' goal. Jesus knows our real need. Can I, let's, come here. <laughs> he knows our real need. the need to know him, to follow him, to be made alive in him. Jesus knows our real need. So that, that's why we're in, we consistently, when, when you show up here, we want to invite you to exist in that place that Jesus knows is real. Just go ahead and join him in that place. You have a deep, desperate need that can only be satisfied in him. He knows that, do you know that? Are you willing to just come and acknowledge that and reside in that place where you know you have a great need that you cannot satisfy yourself? This is where Jesus is right now. This is where we need to be. 
He knows our real need. Simply paying some attention to Jesus does not meet our need. You know that? Just paying some attention to him does not meet our need. He knows that. That's why he's saying stuff like this. That's why Jesus' illustrations and all of his parables and the analogies he used always end with this really dramatic kind of ending. The characters are they're either absolutely for God and secure or they're against God and all is lost. Jesus never plays some middle ground where you just have to be a good person, you just have to pay some attention to him and everything will sort itself out and it'll be fine. It may not be as good as it could be, but it won't be that bad. With Jesus, it's always this stark contrast. Either all is good or all is wrong. And he's right now establishing himself as the difference. Himself. We need him. This is a universal fact. Now, I, I know the way church is, especially in the Bible Belt. When it comes to church in the Bible Belt, a, there's going to be a lot of full rooms on Sunday mornings. Lots of room, lots of seats filled, lots of people staring in one direction at, at a person who is telling them things about God, okay? That, just because that's happening, we can't assume that everybody who gathered in that place and stared in one direction is all of one mind, one heart, all believing the same things. And, and let me just put it in front of you right now. Whether you came here believing this or not, it is a universal fact that we all need Jesus. That's just the truth. And if you didn't come here believing that this morning, I hope by the time you leave, you have believed that. And you'll find a great satisfaction of your need if you find that in Christ. This need of him, universally factual. God made humans, humans need God. There are no exceptions. Knowing Jesus is our greatest need. He does more than just call his listeners to pay some attention or even pay a lot of attention. That's not what he's, that's good. It's good to pay attention. It's good to pay a lot of attention. But if that's all we do, then all we've done is just go to church this morning. But we want more than that, don't we? If all we're doing when we do church is just paying some attention to Jesus, then just why? Just don't do it. The end result has to be faith in Jesus obedience to Jesus, discipleship under the loving leadership of Jesus. If that's where we're going, then we've gathered for a really great, powerful purpose. But if it's just pay some attention to check a box, worthless, worthless. That, that checked box won't save anyone. Jesus is calling his listeners to exclusive discipleship under him, exclusive discipleship. You can see it in the way he talks. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. This is a call to exclusive discipleship, learning from one person and doing, obeying everything he says or not. Exclusive discipleship is the call here. We have a way of saying what Jesus is saying here. It normally goes something like this. 
You have to listen to me. You ever said that to anybody? Somebody who's just like, you know they're way off. And you can tell that they've made, they're determined this is the direction they're going. And you try to intervene and step in front of them and go, look, you've got to listen to me. When you say you've got to listen to me, do you just want them to pay some attention and then go on in the course they had already determined to be on? No, there's a purpose attached to the listening, right? I'm going to get in front of your face. I'm going to interrupt what you're doing and go, you have to listen to me. That listening means something. And, and when people don't listen, when they, when they end up, when we say don't listen, when they end up not doing what you tried to get them to do, what do we say? I tried, but he wouldn't listen to me. Even if he stopped and he looked you right in the eyes and he heard all the words you said, nouns, verbs, prepositional phrases, they all went into the ears, but then he decided not to, to abide by your counsel, what do you say? I tried, but he wouldn't listen to me. Here Jesus is saying, not just hear me, not just listen, not just pay some attention. He's saying, you have to listen to me. You have to rearrange your life around my words. Do what I'm saying, not just pay some attention. Those who don't, who won't do what he says, one day he will tell the Father. I told them, but they wouldn't listen to me. And that'll be a day of judgment, a tragic day of judgment when all is lost. Not a day when it's just not as good as it could have been. It'll be a day when all is lost. Now, Jesus understands that even for the person who listens to him, whose heart is set on obedience to him, like I think most of us looking around, most of us, our hearts are set that we believe in Jesus, we trust Jesus, we want to obey Jesus, but he understands there will be sin, there will be error, there'll be a need for grace and forgiveness. And he has that grace for those of us who know we need him, who love him, who seek him. He has that grace for us. But this brings us to a major dividing point between those who will receive grace for their sins and those who won't. It's only those whose hearts belong to him by grace through faith in him. They will receive the grace for their failures, for their disobedience. But those who have not put faith in Christ will not receive grace for their sins. They won't be forgiven. But for those of us who are in Christ, seeking Him, loving Him, it's our sincere desire to please Him, to glorify Him. If somebody asked us, who is your master in life? We would say, it's Jesus. That's what I want. I want to do what he says. When I read him, it's my heart's desire. Even though I struggle, it's my heart's desire to do what he says. But we're going to fail. There's grace for us when we fail. But not for the person who, when you say, hey, who's your master? There's not a sincere, it's Jesus. Maybe there's a kind of a, a formulaic or a ritualistic kind of, it, uh, Jesus because they were raised in a Christian home or because they go to church and that's what everybody says the answer is. 
but their sincere desire in their heart is not that Jesus would be their master, that they would be his disciple, and for that person who is not really trusting in, following Christ by grace through faith, it'll be a tragic end. Many people will hear and not believe. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, in the beginning of the chapter, it says many people have heard. They've heard the gospel, but they've received no benefit. It's a really interesting way in the beginning of Hebrews 4, the way the writer describes unbelief and being judged in your sins, that they receive no benefit because they didn't hear with faith. And there's a lot of things that you could, there's a lot of ways, a lot of attitudes you could have listening to Jesus and hear every word he says. You could be here this morning and you could hear him saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and does what, they, what I say will be like a wise man who built his house. That You can hear all these words. You can even hear the warning. Everyone who hears and doesn't do will be like this foolish person. You can hear that, but if you don't hear with faith, if Jesus says, listen to me, and you hear the words and then keep on going the way you would have gone anyway, then hearing this gospel, this good news of who Christ is and who he is for us will be of no benefit to you. Again, Jesus is presenting this stark contrast between a person who hears him and through faith lives as his disciple and then a person who hears him and through lack of faith seeks to live apart from the rule of Christ. Apart from the rule of Christ. Which I know, if I can just stop for just a minute, it's not in my notes, but I'm one of you, I'm with you. I know that when Jesus presents this, uh, this comparison... There's a thing inside of us about authority, isn't there? There's something inside the human heart naturally from birth that just authority is so distasteful, unless it's mine. And then it tastes good. Then I savor it. Then I want everybody to enjoy it. Just want to share it with everyone. But someone else's authority is just so distasteful to the human being in the natural I get that. I feel that. I have four children. You understand that I'm well acquainted with the distaste for authority. I've lived it myself. I continue to struggle with it. I have four children who are, are growing up under authority and, and who struggle. And we understand that. We understand that Jesus is hitting a nerve, a sensitive spot this morning. And by faith, we're just going to let him. Just going to let him do that. This stark contrast, a person hears him and through faith lives as a disciple, or a person hears him through lack of faith, wants to live apart from the rule of Christ, not be ruled by him, just be acquainted with him, just be named after him, just receive some kind of thing from him but not be ruled by him. But listen, when Jesus graciously calls us to follow him, draws us into discipleship, his spirit, his spirit comes and opens our hearts to believe in him and take up residence in us, 
We're transferred from the kingdom of darkness, the scriptures say, into his marvelous light. The kingdom of darkness is under the reign of sin. His marvelous light is under the reign of Christ. We're made into new creations, 2 Corinthians 5. Our sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Christ is credited to us as a gift that qualifies us to be reconciled to a holy God. New people with new desires who no longer belong to the world, but belong to Christ as our all-knowing, all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-deserving, all-encompassing Lord. This becomes the desire of the person's heart instilled by the Spirit of Christ to belong to him, to follow him, to, to glory in his lordship all-knowing, all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-deserving, all-encompassing Lord. If you're a note-taker, here we go. All-knowing. Jesus is all-knowing. Nothing about you, your life, how many red blood cells you have, or how many drops of rain fell in the Amazon rainforest last year, nothing has escaped his knowledge. Nothing. Listen to Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar, you searched out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet was none of them. All-knowing Lord. He is all-sufficient. He is abundantly enough for you. The person who has Christ, though his body may die of starvation, is full forever. Listen to Psalm 73, verses 25 
and 26, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. The Hebrew word there for strength could also be translated rock. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength, the rock of my heart and my portion forever. He is all sufficient, Lord. All powerful. The most daunting, complicated, terrifying scenario you can imagine for yourself, and I'm sure you have. It would be small simple, effortless for him to overcome. Do you know that? Do you know you cannot imagine a tragedy in your life that would not be simple, effortless for the Lord to overcome? Job 42, verses one and two, after Job had been through the ringer Everything in this world lost. All that he had in this world was his life, clinging to it. And even in life, he was thinking, oh, the day that I was born, let it be cursed. Let it be erased from history. And Job finally came to the end of his rope and then let go of it and fell into faith in God, and he said, I can see now that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 46. Man, listen, listen. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. All powerful Lord. All deserving 
He is deserving of all love, all devotion, all obedience, all worship. Listen to Colossians 1.16 as Paul is praising the glories of Christ. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is all deserving, Lord. This is all his. He owns it. He is all encompassing. There is no sphere of life in which he is not Lord, even those spheres of life you desperately try to keep control of. He is Lord. Listen to the next couple of verses in Colossians as Paul continues to praise Christ. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, molecularly. By the will of his power, He keeps the universe intact. He is Lord. He is head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That is the first one raised in glory. That in everything, he might be preeminent. First in the household. First in authority. First in glory. Jesus is all-encompassing. The person who trusts and obeys Jesus as all-knowing, all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-deserving, all-encompassing Lord is like a person who builds his house, his entire life, on the rock. Stable, strong, eternal, unmovable, absolutely secure, That's a wise person. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. Life is hard, amen? I guess just some of y'all know that by now. Life is hard. Difficult. It is challenging. There are some seasons where you can wake up, you can do your life, and you can go back to bed, and it just happened. Then there are seasons. Some of you have been through those seasons, some of you are living that season, some of you will have that season. The rain will fall, the wind will blow, the waves will come crashing and beating against, and the difference will be Jesus. Life will assault 
but we will stand on Christ and be saved. The person who lacks faith in Christ is building a life, but it will fall. The rain will come, the floods, the winds will beat against that house, that life, and great will be the fall of it. Great and tragic. Everything built will crash. Everything. The appeal to you this morning is to be like the one who builds his house on the rock. Build your whole life upon Christ. Be his disciple. Love him. Trust him. Obey him. You will stand. The life that you built will stand. It will be found to be worthy. And it will stand. Not because you are a master builder. Not because you have such expertise. Not because you were so strong, because you used the best materials, the best relationships, the best job, the best savings account, chose the best spouse, had the best kids. Not because the materials you used and your expertise were so profoundly worthy, but because the rock you built on is immovable because it cannot be moved. Though the earth give way, though the mountains be thrown into the heart of the sea, its waves crashing, foaming, storming, Christ will not be moved. And you will be in Christ. You will be built on Christ. And in Christ, you will stand. Now, we've, we've already shown that in Jesus' own words, there is a division between those who trust him and those who don't. Those who trust him are like those who build their house on him. That's wise. Because that will stand for eternity. No matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances, the challenges, no matter what comes crashing, assaulting, challenging, that person will have been wise. And then there's the person who is foolish. And that person is not building their life on Christ and it will all crash. Because they trusted in themselves and their own expertise and their own selection of materials to build something worthy, something strong, something that will last. And the difference here is the difference between someone who simply has received grace from God and turned to him in faith and someone who has not. But if I can, based on what Scripture says, 
make a further division because it, that's simple enough for us to understand. If you showed up here this morning and you are not a believer in Christ, then let Christ tell you you're being like a foolish person. You need to change your strategy here. You need to look to the rock, a strong place, a strong foundation for your life. Trust in him, believe in him, and build your life there. Abandon whatever you had built before. Simple enough, right? Believe in Christ, who he is and what he's done, and you'll be building your life on Christ. So there's a division. But if we can pay some attention to the household here, if we can turn our attention to those of us who have been seeking to build our life on Christ, to be found in him, that he is our foundation and it's our heart's desire. If anyone asked us, who is your master, who is your Lord, who is discipling you, our ultimate heartfelt answer would be Jesus. We want to obey him. We want to be like the wise man who hears these words of his and does what he says. And yet, there are still those pieces of our hearts that are still foolish. You know what I'm saying? Am I the only one who's still sort of foolish in here? Like on a whole, love Jesus, want him, eager for him. I delight in his glory, in his majesty, in his commands. I know that by obeying his commands, I will experience his life, his joy, his peace, to walk by his spirit is life and peace. Romans 8, to walk by the flesh is death. I don't want death, I want life. But there are still those pieces of my heart, those things that I just have been clutching, those, those parts of me that still enjoy my independence from Christ, as much of an illusion as that is, we've already established he is Lord but in my foolishness, I try to gather some sand up and start building something on it. There are still these parts of me that just absolutely betray my confession of faith in Christ. Absolutely betray it. You know what I'm saying? You with me? So the appeal here to everyone in the room, everyone, is to seek constantly, perpetually, by God's grace, through faith in Christ, to be like the wise man, to be like the wise man, so that I'm not just over here like a wise man with my marriage, but then over here like an idiot with my kids, over here like a wise man with my job, but then over here like a fool with my church, you know what I'm saying? You know how divided we always are? How schizophrenic we are spiritually, theologically. Well, 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 theology, theology. Then turn right around and do all the stupid stuff that is a lie. The appeal this morning to all of us is that we would be constantly seeking to be like the wise man. Not just when it's convenient, 
not just when the right people are around watching, not just in certain conversations or certain settings, but always, always, whether publicly or privately, we would be seeking to be like Jesus' wise man. Everything we build, everything we seek to construct, everything we delight in, everything we hope will have any lasting joy, anything that we seek to derive comfort or peace from or do for the Lord or do for another or do for myself, that all of it, all of it would be founded on, built upon Christ. Because if it's not, it's just going to wash away. But if it is, if it is, it will last will last. We can enjoy it forever. It'll be to the glory of God. He will be delighted in it. He'll be pleased with it. He'll help us. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. He's with you, helping, ministering, building with you. But over here as a foolish person, God is working against you. He's going to see to it that what you build crashes. If God is committed to destroying the thing you've been building, give up. Amen? Amen. Don't be like a foolish person who's going, God, stop it. Get away. I'm building this. Don't touch it. Just get out of my way. Just kick it over. He hates things built in self-righteousness. He will destroy. He's committed to destroy. Give up. Build on Christ. Build on Christ where there's grace and there's help and there's real joy, by the way. Enjoying this shifting thing built on the sand, always teetering and about to fall over, anxiously trying to hold it up, working against the hand of God. No wonder we're all so anxious. Build on Christ. Peace, joy, satisfaction, security, glory for God. For eternity. With no fear of failure. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The appeal this morning is that we would be constantly, by grace, through faith in Christ, building on Christ. He is the all-knowing, all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-deserving, all-encompassing Lord. The one who trusts in him is wise. Let's be like the wise man. Now, I'm, I'm going to be like the preacher here and say, final point. So just buckle up for about 20 more minutes.
Every good sermon comes to a point of decision. You know what I'm saying? You've probably sat through enough of them. You know by now. There, there's, there's this 35,000 foot theological viewpoint laying out the path. You know, this is where we're all headed, the long view. This is what it's all really about. But at some point, the plane has to land and you have to actually be doing something, right? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, does them. This is about discipleship, not just hearing. It's about obedience, faithful obedience, not just obedience, believing obedience, trusting faithful obedience. I'm doing this out of faith in Christ, for the glory of Christ, obeying Christ. So, I along with you have to examine this, not just amen and agree with it. I know that it's undeniable, it's true, it's true. And I wanna be wise. All right, what's for lunch? I wanna be wise, I wanna build my house on the rock. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. What are we doing? I don't mean that rhetorically. What are we doing? What kind of rearranging has to happen for us? Realignment. What kinds of things, when we examine our hearts, examine our lives, will we see things built on Christ and then see other things built on sand, little sand castles over here? all worn, rounded out from the waves rolling over them. Just, by the way, it doesn't take some huge hurricane to knock over the things that we build, does it? <laughs> it's just like, I've worked so hard at some things and then the smallest little thing just. What are those things that we just look at and we just realize I haven't, I haven't been living that because I love Jesus because I just like it, because I find some fleeting sense of security in it. Makes me feel good, makes me feel important. That's why I know I've been doing that. So then, okay, let's kick that over and let's make some plans. Some plans to rebuild on Christ. If the appeal is for us to constantly be seeking by grace through faith to build on Christ like the wise man, then, all right, wisdom would call us to examine, to, to kick over, to deconstruct, and to start building something of worth. So I'm, I'm going to lay that before you now and just say, Selah and just let it rest with you. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. Spirit of Christ, 
We ask you to continue this ministry, this work that only you can do through your power. to show us, has any of us been building our life on the sand like a foolish person, building our hopes on our own efforts, our own righteousness, our own good deeds as if somehow we'll be accepted by you because we were good enough, because what we built was so worthy things that were built that weren't even for you or about you. If any of us has been building our house on the sand, Lord, I ask you, will you please make that clear to us? Crystal clear. Would you please bring conviction of sin and righteousness the way your word says you will? Bring conviction about truth so that we could stand before you honest, confessing our weakness, confessing our sin, repenting of this sand, building and turning and trusting in Christ. Lord, would you be so gracious and save souls this morning. Transfer souls from the kingdom of darkness to your marvelous light to be built on Christ. And Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, Will you continue this ministry of conviction? That even though it's our heart's desire, it's, it's what we want most, it's the thing that we are arranging our lives around, that you're at the center, Lord. Would you please help us to see those areas of our hearts, our lives that betray our confession of faith in you? That if we know you're all-knowing, we don't live like it with some uncertainty. That if we know you're all sufficient, we don't live like it. To know you're all powerful, all deserving. All powerful, all encompassing. That our lives betray it. What are those things, Lord, that you could be glorified in where right now you're not even trusted you're not even looked to help us Lord each of us to examine honestly to repent faithfully to begin building wisely thank you for your words to us Jesus thank you Holy Spirit for your help please work in us that we would, as Jesus said, be like the wise man who builds his house on the rock, that the rain will fall, the waves will come, the winds will blow, and our lives will stand because they've been built on Christ. 
help us now. In Jesus' name, amen.